From hook and bullet to policy and science, we're here to discuss and dissect all matters of importance to Montana's rugged landscape and the people and wildlife that call it home. This is Montana Untamed. The 68th legislative session adjourned in a whirlwind Tuesday evening with lawmakers making their final votes on spending and social bills. While unprecedented events over the last two weeks, including protests and arrests, grabbed national headlines, in other areas of the Capitol, lawmakers debated some of the final bills dealing with hunting, fishing, and access. Wildlife legislation often brings some of the biggest debates of the session, and while we did see plenty of strong opinions, this session came in with a bit of a different tone, and that seemed to carry through. I'm joined today by Tom Kuglin with the Montana State News Bureau. Tom, you've been following wildlife access bills, hunting, fishing, you know, all of that for the last few sessions. Uh, what stood out to you um, from this session? Yeah, I think the the thing that stood out to me was the initial tone that was set. Um, when we came in, um, we'd, we'd come out of a 2021 legislature where we passed major reforms expanding wolf hunting and trapping, um, trapping in general. Um, we had some very bitter debates over outfitter-sponsored licenses that eventually went down and then sort of came back at the end. Um, we had a major bill that had just a ton of stuff in it, and that included uh, a program to uh, raise pen-raise pheasants at the state prison, which has right. um, you know, gotten people pretty fired up. Um, and we've covered before. On yeah, the show. and we've covered that. So I mean, you, you know, sort of to lay the the foundation of where where we come into this session, um, and then we had you know season setting, you know, the the commission process for all that too, and that was, I mean, as as brutal as I've seen it mm -hmm. in you know a decade covering it, um, what what we saw there. So, um, what was pretty interesting though is you you came in and. Um, Early on, you know, there was some talk about um, we're going to try to turn the temperature down a little bit. Right. And, um, you know, I kind of had some some conversations with people. I kind of had some feelings about what it was, but it was actually a lot more comprehensive than even I realized. Um, we had what was called Elk Camp at the Capitol, mm -hmm. where you had um, Republicans and Democrats. You had the governor there, and you had outfitters and public hunting groups. Right. Um, people that were really on um, either either side of this, you know, throwing stones at each other two years ago. Right. Um, they had had a meeting during the interim or meetings, and they hashed out basically a six-bill package, and they they said, we don't get everything we want in here, but we're going to support it, and we're going to try to shepherd it through. So immediately the tone of the session – well, you're still going to have the hunting groups and like more of the animal welfare groups are going to disagree right on a lot of policy the actual you know commercial hunting groups versus the public hunting groups was there was a lot more collaboration than i've ever seen so right they kind of ironed out some of the wrinkles behind the scenes so that you know once it took legislative action it kind of <clears throat> a lot of the disagreements had kind of been worked out first yeah. So, and I think, you know, that's, that's a way to do lawmaking. That's um, maybe 
a little different than we see in this day and age. Mm-hmm. Um, but it but it was effective. Um, they got, um, by my count, they got everything but one bill passed. So has anybody has anybody you know in those groups talked about why they decided to compromise? I mean, I understand the idea is to like get legislation passed, but like, did they? Was it like a bad image thing on? conservation groups that they were feuding it out at the Capitol or was it, you know, they actually didn't get as much done as they wanted to, or did, you know, like, I guess, how did they put that into words that like, now's the time to figure this stuff out, you know? Yeah. I think the the impression I got was there was sort of a, somewhat of a, uh, of a reckoning of enough is enough Um, that, you know, there's, you know, it's kind of cliche, but there's more than more that unites us than divides us kind of a concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was true. I mean, we're facing just this huge influx of people. Right. And that is people are moving here. And that means there's more people hunting on, on public lands. It's Majorly becoming, changing. It's becoming more and more crowded. It's becoming more and more challenging. It's putting more pressure on landowners that do provide access. Right. Um, and... There was also, I think, an understanding that this was the time and place that you couldn't shove this one down the road. Right. That some steps needed to be right needed to take place to try to um, to try to manage what the reality is on the ground. Right. And so, I mean, I guess were there no controversial issues? like that came up this session in this, in this realm of conservation and. Yeah, no, I mean, there was a lot of controversy and you're always going to, you're always going to see that. Um, even within this package of consensus bills, there was a bill it was 635 um, from the house and that bill really fractured the public hunting groups. Um, and, you know, I don't even know if the outfitters loved it to be honest, but I think, um, basically, you're talking. You're talking. The, now we're on to this current session. We're no longer yeah, discussing yeah. the last session, right? So okay. um, there were bills that I mean, like everybody got behind. Like we doubled the payment payments that landowners can receive under block management. Right. Um, there was a bill that basically re, it caps the number of non-resident dough licenses. Okay. Um, an individual can buy. Um, there were some like minor tweaks to like um, some access programs. And not by when I say minor tweaks, they didn't make a lot of changes, but the changes they made were important, mm-hmm. um, sort of make it more fair in the minds of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a bill that um, what it did was um, provide a pool within the non-resident licenses that are allocated. There's now a non-resident landowner pool. Okay. So and this was controversial. Yeah. So this was controversial because people said, "Well, you're." basically incentivizing non-residents to come in and buy land because now they're not in with everybody else to try to draw a big game license. So non-resident, basically the gist is that non-resident land owners have a easier chance at drawing. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And there's some, some sideboards around that. So it was interesting though, that made it through, but it was through the smallest margins out of anything. Went to the governor, the governor, did an amendatory veto on it, sent it back. And what the amendatory veto did, um, there were there was like an acreage cap. So to qualify for a land, non-resident landowner pool, you had to have 2,500 acres. 
And then within the bill, there was sort of this escalating, like for every other 2,500 acres, you could get another non-resident license. Well, the governor just said, this is too complicated and said, you can get up to three for if you have 2,500 acres. That did not go over well with the public hunting groups. And actually when, when, when that was heard on the house floor, it got, it got summarily voted down. Oh, okay. Um, and the reason being, um, my understanding and, and what was said on the floor is that, you know, we have a resident landowner preference pool and they only get one license, but yeah. we're going to give three to non-residents. It just, it did, it, it just didn't work. So it died. So the amendatory veto didn't pass. So the whole bill died. No, no. So all they voted down were the, the governor's amendments. So what happened was the bill, both the house and the Senate voted down the amendments. So the bill goes back to the governor um, my understanding from listening to uh, when that bill passed on Tuesday that um, the governor's probably okay with the bill as is. So and it, it, and remind us where we came back to now that the bill. What is the bill in its form that is on the governor's desk right now? Yeah, so it'll be um, there'll be a fifteen percent of all non-resident licenses will be put into a pool for non-resident landowners. Okay. Um, it's unclear, and you know, there's some research um, from backcountry hunters and anglers that says there's going to be fairly few landowners that will actually qualify for this. So okay. we'll have to see those numbers and what the actual effect of this bill is. But um, the it, it's again, you have this pool, and then if you're a non-resident landowner, you can put in for it and see if you can draw a license or not. Okay, um, through it, and basically that comes from the criticism that. Um, you know, these people own land, but they couldn't actually hunt their own land. Um, and the other kind of concept was that uh, you would be sort of more limited to that private land if you're the landowner. So maybe that would push elk off that land right. if you could get some hunting pressure on it. So any other controversy we should discuss before we jump over to this this package of uh, consensus bills? Well, yeah, so we definitely saw sort of some repeat bills from um, – 2021, you know, you had, um, you know, the groups that were the, the sort of more animal welfare trapping opponent groups that were not happy with legislation from 2021 mm -hmm. came in with sort of, um, you know, almost sort of trying to, to sustain that level of um, anger towards the lawmakers from last session. Um, and I don't think they they would disagree with that, that sort of um, characterization, uh, characterization that, um, you know, they came in guns a blazing on a lot of bills that um, didn't actually um, make those big of changes. So, you know, we did see some efforts to expand trapping and, and wolf and black bear hunting. Um, those sort of moved, but then died. Um, the governor actually came in against them because there were some issues with um, trying to delist grizzly bears. Um, and then we saw Democrats bring bills to try to overturn some of the legislation from 2021 mm -hmm. um, on wolf trapping, on prison pheasants, that sort of stuff. So, of course, that didn't go anywhere either. So, right. Um, but we had some of those debates again. Um, okay. So the consensus bills we talked about, what are those? How are they going to change um, hunting access habitat in the state? Yeah. So, I mean, we are already sort of touched on it. Um, there's some landowner programs like block management, um, they're trying to make that, they're, 
financially, block management is falling behind, and we know it's right. falling behind of other opportunities for landowners right. to um, allow public hunting. Um, so this basically says you can earn up to $50,000 a year as a landowner for allowing public hunting. And it's my understanding that's a pretty big jump, right, from yeah. where it was at? Yeah, so in... 2021, it went from twelve thousand five hundred dollars to twenty five thousand, and then in two years later, it's all the way up to fifty. Wow! Um, and what the cap also means is that Fish for Life and Parks, and I think everybody expects them to do this, um, would be to come in and actually increase the per diem. So they get like a thirteen dollar a day payment, but that could go as high as twenty, right, or somewhere up in that area per day. Um, so, I mean, they're trying to make that program as attractive as possible for, for landowners okay. um, to, to allow public hunting. Right. Uh, and, you know, hopefully reduce that sort of amenity property thing we're yeah, seeing I mean, and, out, you know, lands tied up as leased to their outfitted lands. And now, like, the whole Airbnb for hunting and fishing access. Um, yeah. It's definitely, uh, I think, from, you know, a landowner's perspective, can probably make a little higher profit margin off of something like that than... Mm -hmm. you know, um, an underfunded state program. Um, and, and so when they did this increase to block management, was this just kind of a parody, like a, like a, an attempt to bring it up to terms with inflation or was it a actually a direct response to access maybe going out of, you know, this public program and into, you know, less, less accessible to everybody else? Like, was that part of, the, was that the discussion well, 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 increasing here, the payments? Well, here's what we know. We know that other programs or other ways to earn money off of hunting are potentially more lucrative. Right. Um, we also know that acreage has gone out of block management um, over the last 10 years, yep. but 100 days on the block management that's are going up. Are going up. So you're getting less land with more pressure on it. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, that that's sort of what we know um, is happening. And this is maybe an effort to try to to either slow that trend or reverse it if possible. Right. Um, and we've seen some other bills, too. There's um, what we call the 454 program. Basically, what that does is you have these hard-to-draw areas um, for elk permits um, a landowner gets a permit and they have to let what is now three public hunters on. Well, they made a change to it to say, well, one of those hunters also has to be hunting a bull elk as well. Um, there's some other kind of smaller changes there. There's a liaison to try to improve landowner hunter relations. Um, the one bill that did go down was an effort to, um, put into statute in-person hunter education. Mm. Um, what that kind of came down to was, um, it was incredibly popular bill, but it also, um, was kind of ambitious. There's been a lot of loss of, um, of volunteer instructors right. since the pandemic. So that they didn't really have the infrastructure to put that in. It was going to be fairly expensive to hire professional staff to, to start that program up. Right. Um, and that basically FWP could do it without passing a law. So that's kind of what killed it in the end. Hmm. Um, but yeah, no, there, like I said, there were, there was also a, some other bills that were, went 
rounds and rounds and trying to capture this issue with non-resident hunting. There was actually a bill that would have limited um, non-resident hunters to 14 days. Oh, right. Um, that one made it a ways and then died. And then died. Um, but that was a really interesting conversation as well. Right. So, hmm. Okay. So, uh, what about grizzly bears? There's always, there's always grizzly bears. Yeah. So what we had this session, we had a couple of bills. One of them, uh, sort of went away at the end because the, the main bill passed. So Senate bill 295 is from, um, Butch Gillespie. He's a rancher up on the Rocky Mountain front. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of the main bill trying to pave the way for a grizzly bear delisting. Um, it's kind of a comprehensive list of like when grizzly bears could be killed and what the state is going to do to sort of try to limit mortality. Right. Um, that's obviously a pretty, pretty touchy subject. Yeah. Totally. Um, so, I mean, you, that one got, you know, stirred a lot of emotions and people were, were pretty upset about it um, that were opposed to the bill. But you saw a lot of ranchers and, you know, even some groups come in that, um, you know, said, you know, now's the time to do it. Um, you know, there are some pretty, there are some technical criticisms of the bill. There was um, kind of party lines a lot of times, but in the end it actually did get some bipartisan support and passed and, um by all intents and purposes, we expect, you know, that one to be signed. Mm-hmm. Um, Governor Greg Gianforte has made it one of his priorities to try to push for grizzly bear delisting. We've tried it a couple times before. Um, we're, I mean, who knows if we'd get there with it or not, but we are sort of in that process. And um, this is the bill that, that the state said they needed to try to set the groundwork for that. Right, right. So, you know, the last thing we should probably talk about is Senate Bill 442 from Senator Mike Lang of Malta. This is kind of one of those bills uh, that uh, speaks to the saying that, you know, it's not a law until the governor signs it, right? Yeah. Um, so what's in the bill and walk us through what all happened? Yeah, I'll give just a very like 30,000 foot view of the bill because, you know, it's fairly technical. Um we have a tax on recreational marijuana in the state. Mm-hmm. Um, what to do with that has been an issue since it passed because as part of the ballot initiative legalizing um, recreational pot, you had part of the ballot language said this was going to go to wildlife habitat and right. access. Um, but under the Constitution, that's basically null and void. Um, the legislature is the only... Um, entity that, that can, can actually budget right. money. So it was window dressing on the ballot measure that carried no actual. Yeah, know. but but still, like you have the people that want the funding to go to that, saying, "Well, the the voters gave us a mandate to do right. that." And in twenty twenty one, the legislature um, somewhat followed that mandate. Um, fast forward to twenty twenty three, you have um, Gianforte has said he believes that habitat funding is sufficient; mm-hmm. they don't need more. And he wanted to direct basically all that um, funding to other programs, including his heart fund, which deals with addiction services. So, I mean, you know, obviously admirable programs, but um, the people that thought the money should go elsewhere um, certainly came in strong and, um, you know, accused the the governor of, you know, trying to defund um, habitat programs, which, um, you know, is still being funded from traditional sources, but 
So anyway, um, sort of you had a lot of debate early on, what are we going to do with marijuana tax? Um, what do you, There were competing bills, but the one that emerged was Lang's bill. Um, and what it does is it would put some of that money towards um, funding maintenance of county roads. Some of the money would go to Habitat. Some of the money would go to veteran services and, and, and you know, a couple other pots here and there. Um, by sort of spreading it around in that way, it got – it was one of the most popular bills of the entire session. Right. Um, you know, you just saw resounding um, support for it from groups across the spectrum. And, you know, it just passed by these incredible margins. You know, you know, I think the last one was like almost 90 votes in the House. And Yeah. So widely supported by both parties, both chambers in the legislature. Yeah, but obviously it didn't follow what, what the governor um, initially wanted on there. Right. So – Let's talk about what happened Tuesday then. Yeah. So this bill is passed. Um, there's already talk of the governor's going to veto this bill that was already going around the Capitol. Um, we didn't know if that meant it was going to be like an mandatory veto or if he was just going to flat out veto it. Right. Um, the shock of the session when um, the legislature all of a sudden adjourned. Right. Um they adjourned. We went through that. And then all of a sudden, um, Gianforte announces that the, the bill has been vetoed. Um, based on the timing of when he vetoed it, he vetoed it when the Senate was supposedly still in session before they adjourned. And this matters why. Basically, how the rules work from what we understand is that if, if the governor makes the veto while the legislature's in session, they have to deal with it while they're in session. If he vetoes it after they're out of session, they can do a poll through the Secretary of State to try to see if they want to override the veto or not. So the idea is that maybe they don't have the opportunity to override because it was actually vetoed while they were in session, yeah. but they adjourned before addressing the veto. And then there's also this other question of, well, the House was still in session, but the Senate wasn't. So that discussion started last night about how the hell is this going to go from <laughs> progressing forward? Um I don't know if we have a hundred percent the answer this today. Um, I know I talked to Democrats today, and they said, "Well, it it might have been the veto might have been signed, but it was never read on the rostrum in the Senate, which is sort of the official the, process." So um, they believe that no, they can in fact do the poll to try to override the governor's veto. That's still a high bar to try to do. It's but, not clear they would try it, but. But this bill, of all bills, may have that bar since it had such widespread support. Yeah, I mean, if you need two-thirds to override a veto and it got 130-something votes on final reads in the House and Senate, then that's a heck of a lot of support for this bill. So we'll right. see what happens. So but, for, the, for, but the governor also – I mean, I should I should say what the governor's beef with it was. He said that basically the bill was, was flawed um, fatally, that um, – it came without an appropriation that um, the precedent it set was basically that the state was going to pay the county's expenses, what it should have been the county's expenses to maintain roads. Mm -hmm. And he didn't agree with sort of setting that precedent moving forward as a, as a budget item. So um, I, I think everybody's, and I'm sure the governor knew this when he vetoed it, that um, the way it's going to be, um, played though is that um, you know the governor signed or vetoed a bill that 
was incredibly popular and had all these very popular provisions in it. So, I mean, there was some politics at play here, too. Right, absolutely. So, Senate Bill 442 um, is not out of the news quite yet. We, it's not out of the news, and we'll see what happens. I don't know exactly what will happen and whether, you know, this is going to end up in a court case or whether right, um, sort of they're just going to move forward with their attempt to override and see what happens. So hmm. we'll find out. So any final thoughts about the session um, in the world of conservation up at the Capitol? I mean, it was a it was an interesting session because I was sitting there last night as we were getting ready to sign a die, and I'm like, man, two years ago, like, it was just crazy right at the end in terms of wildlife bills, and it wasn't so much the session. Mm-hmm. You know, things moved, things died. Um, we had our debates, and we, and we moved forward with it. But, um, yeah, no, that's my big takeaway on it is that um, – you know, we always hear people say they want to turn the temperature down, and, and um, you know, there are some Montanans out there that managed to manage to do it in at least one area of the law this year. Right. Yeah. Certainly not all, not all areas of the legislature where the temperature was turned down, but yeah, um, one it was. All right. Well, thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Montana Untamed is a podcast from the newsrooms of Lee Enterprises Montana Newspapers. Visit any of our websites or subscribe wherever podcasts are found. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com listen. Shopify.com listen.